was previously going to tell you about how Alice Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, got kicked out of the White House, like banned. <laughs> but then I started researching her and I was like, damn, everyone needs to know more about her. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you about Alice Roosevelt, okay? <laughs> I like that. I think this podcast is just going to end up being about the Roosevelts at this point. This podcast is just a hot mess, is what it is. <laughs> That's very because true. I feel like every time I'm like, one of us is like, I started out researching this, but then here it is. I went through two stories before I landed on this one about gelatin. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Tressler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. So Alice was born in 1884, um, and she's the eldest daughter of Teddy Roosevelt, and her mother's name was also Alice. So they named her after her mother. We'll call her Alice Lee, because that was her maiden name. Mama Alice. Yeah, Mama Alice, or whatever. So Mama Alice actually died from kidney failure, um, which was hidden due to her pregnancy so they didn't even know that she was like basically dying so she passed away shortly after alice was born and also passed away the same day not you know like it can't get any worse same day as teddy roosevelt's mother oh yeah even though alice was named after her mom teddy never called her alice again like, he was just like, I don't want to even be reminded of your mother, so I'm not calling you that. So, he literally left his daughter, like, up and left. Left her with her aunt, so his sister, Anna, and went west. Just, like, couldn't handle the pressure, I guess. I don't know. He just was like, okay, here's my kid. Bye. So, because she lived with her aunt in her formative years, that kind of left an imprint and made her, like, who she was. Her thoughts, personality, identity literally came from being with her aunt. Skip a few years because, honestly, I didn't really find anything else interesting. So, <laughs> so her first and only marriage was to a Republican Speaker of the House. Sounds terrible already. Yes. Which I think is interesting. Like, you didn't really grow up with your father around, but you somehow still married somebody in politics. Which is similar to your dad. So I kind of was curious, like, is that because you didn't spend a lot of time with your dad or it just sort of happened that way? Like, how did this come about? Like, trying to replicate a relationship with your dad. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, at um, least it hopefully wasn't her fifth cousin. Well. Like some other Roosevelt's we have discussed. No, no, but. Oh, no, it's the first cousin. No. This is going to be fun. But hold your, <laughs> hold your horse. So his name is Nicholas Longworth III. Okay. And it was a shaky marriage. Let me tell you why. <laughs> because the, she had one whole daughter and it wasn't even Nicholas's. It was from an affair she had with a senator <laughs> named William Edgar Bora. She obviously loved the political life, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> Well, at least she didn't have a half-child. 
No, but... She had one whole daughter. Listen, people were pissed, okay? <laughs> like, Nicholas was not happy when he found out. So, um, a fun fact when I was doing this, though, Alice was a distant relative of the Schuyler sisters, who, if you're oh, not from- familiar, is Hamilton. Yes. They're... they're Definitely heavily talked about in Hamilton, um, which is a musical, and it's on Disney. And Peggy. Yes, Um, it's on Disney Plus. Um, If we're close friends, hit me up. I'll give you my login. But that was through her father. So, like the Roosevelts are actually distantly related to the Schuyler sisters. So Alice became a celebrity and fashion icon at seventeen, which was about when her father became president in 1901. She was also known as a rule breaker, okay? So, the, okay, and I'm, listen, I do not speak French, but the Journal des Debats in Paris noted that in 15 months, 1 5, 15, Alice attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties. How? You tell me. <laughs> if I go to like two parties a year, that's like, I'm maxed out. Yeah. Nope. 15 months. So, one paper even alleged that she had scandalously stripped down to her lingerie at a drunken orgy and danced atop a table. But that story did prove to be false. <laughs> Um, I mean, what are the odds, though, at, like, over 700 parties, at least, from what you just said, that, like, oh, for sure, one of them you're going to be topless, oh, right? Oh, 100%. I'm sure she was. It yeah. just wasn't that particular party they talked just, about. Just, like, statistically speaking. Um, <laughs> but I think that kind of, taught, like, lends its hand to the type of reputation she had. Whether it was true or not, like, you obviously were doing some shady stuff if they were willing to print something like that about you, whether they found out it was true or not. She was also known to smoke cigarettes in public. Oh, my God. Rode in cars with men. While smoking a cigarette, I hope. Stayed out late at parties, obviously. And had a pet snake named Emily Spinach in the White House. So, Emily was for her spinster aunt, and spinach was because the, the snake was green. So, if I was to address this snake, would I say Emily spinach or Emily spinach in the White House? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm. It was an emphasis of the fact that she literally had a pet snake in the White House. Oh, the I... The name, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I thought she went and named this snake Emily Spinach in the White House. Uh, no. <laughs> but Which I, think, I really appreciate. Yeah, I wish. Let's just pretend that's what it was. <laughs> um, she also was seen placing bets with a bookie. Okay? This girl, scandalous. So, Alice joined her father in 1905 on a tour of Asia. And so, that was in... Um, they went through Japan, China... They even hit up Hawaii, so I think it was more of a tour of, like, the Pacific, Mm -hmm. not Asia, but, listen, that's what the notes said. Uh, The Philippines and Korea. So, during this cruise, Alice jumped into the pool, fully clothed, and coaxed a congressman in with her. 
She really does have a type. That I'm telling you. Very apparent. <laughs> I'm telling you. So some papers wanted to add a romantic spin, so they claimed it was her husband who had jumped in, but it definitely was not. Um, it was just a congressman. Can't trust the news. No. Fake news. Fake news in 1905. So yeah, she definitely has a type. So she did end up, um, I'm going to bring this up now because I kind of quote it in some of the notes, but she eventually wrote a book called Crowded Hours, and it was a semi-biography about her life. And she did note um, that there wasn't much difference between what she was wearing in a lady's bathing suit at the time so really she was it wasn't too scandalous if you look at what the fashion was between bathing suits and her actual dress like her everyday dress okay I actually think about that often where I will literally walk outside in a swimsuit but like if anybody ever saw me in my bra and underwear I'd have a heart attack but it's literally basically the same the same yeah I think my bra and underwear is probably more modest than a bathing suit, actually. I would say most people yeah. would be. My sister wears, like, a string for a bathing suit, so... Well. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Okay. In 1908, while in the Capitol's gallery at the House of Representatives, she needed a bit of amusement, so she stuck a tack on an unsuspecting middle-aged gentleman's chair... And then sat in the gallery and literally watched him sit on the tack. Okay, is Alice a serial killer? Because... (laughs) (laughs) No, Alice is just, for lack of a better term, like an asshole. But I think she's wonderful. I would hang out with her. Oh no, she sounds really fun. (laughs) I just... I would feel so bad. She has no regard for anything because she, I mean, she grew up with her aunt. I'm sure her aunt was just like, felt bad because she lost her mom, her grandma, and her dad abandoned her for the West where he was hunting moose and other crap Teddy Roosevelt did. So, I mean, they probably just hung out and were besties and like, she didn't care what Alice did. That's a good point. She also probably told her about the joke of putting tax on chairs <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, somebody had to tell her. She just didn't see like a viral TikTok of people yeah. putting tax like on when, chair. When my my friend's kids are old enough, I'm gonna be that person. I'm like, you know, it's funny. Let's put a tack on your mom's chair. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this is the last time I'm gonna speak to you because I don't want to be that person. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. If I ever sit on a tack, I'm 100% coming for you. Unless I, I have it's gonna be you. Unless I haven't seen you in days. And I'm not, listen, let me put it, let me put, like, a, a note on this, like a, a hash, an asterisk. Like, unless I'm there to see it, it's not worth my time. So I'm, I'm not going to okay. put the tack there if I can't then watch you sit on it. Like, then what's the purpose? That's fair. You know what yeah. I mean? So if I'm not there and you still sit on a tack, it wasn't me. But what if this is just some elaborate ruse where you're telling me, well, I would have to be there to watch it. And then, like, tomorrow I go home and guess what's on my couch? Attack. Well, seeing as I haven't been there for a month, basically. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're plotting. (laughs) I'm done with you. (laughs) I think, okay, next podcast idea, conspiracy theories. (laughs) Okay. It's just Emily running around the United States putting tax (laughs) on chairs. Forget Lee Harvey Oswald. I did JFK. 
a time machine. That's what I have. <laughs> you oh shot a tack at him from a yeah, it was Yeah, it wasn't even a gun with a bullet. It was a tack. <laughs> okay, so this is where I'm going to really get spiraled. sued. <laughs> the FBI is going to call me. <laughs> Knock down my door. Okay. So a White House visitor noted that Alice would be spotted frequently entering the Oval Office to offer her political advice to her father. Teddy was, this is my favorite thing, Teddy was heard to comment that if she interrupted again, he would throw her out the window, <laughs> and also heard to say, I can either run the country or attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's how Nihilus feels about me sometimes. He's like, God, am I just like putting tax on everything? <laughs> What the hell am I going to do? She's out of control. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So due to her, <laughs> due to her celebrity and being the center of everyone's attention, her nickname became Princess Alice. So like I said, she had one marriage, um, which was to the house speaker, Nicholas Longworth III. And that was in 1906. This was the social event of the season because over 1,000 people attended and even more gathered around the location just to get a glimpse of the couple. It's like the royal family was getting married. Is that maybe where she got the Princess Alice or? Well, it was before that. Like, because she was just like, well, because I mean, you have to think about it. She went to what? Over a thousand dinners, parties and balls in 15 months. So, I mean, I think Princess Alice became, like, she was that before she married Nicholas. That's fair. That's fair. Nicholas is like the pauper in this, this story. <laughs> <laughs> he, he got notoriety for marrying her, not the other way That's around. Fair. Yeah. Okay. Alice supported her father's run for the 1912 election, while her husband supported his longtime mentor, who was rerunning, or I'm sorry, running for re-election, President Taft. So between this, Alice's work on campaigns that pushed for Longworth's competitors and her numerous affairs, the couple's relationship turned icy. So they were only married for roughly six years. I don't know why that math was so hard. When it was finally time for the Roosevelts to move out of the White House... Did they take Emily Spinach and rename her Emily Spinach out of the White House? No, but <laughs> but she no <laughs> no. But Alice buried a voodoo doll of the new First Lady Nellie Taft in the front yard because <laughs> her dad lost to Taft. So she so she said, "F you, Nellie. Here's a voodoo doll in the front yard." <laughs> so, she would then be banned from the White House during the Taft presidency, um, <laughs> which I, I'm sure we can all understand why she was banned. But Whitley, this would not be the last administration to ban her. Wait a minute. <laughs> In 1916, Alice was banned again due to a body joke that was at the expense of then President Woodrow Wilson. So basically, she made a sex joke about Woodrow Wilson, and he said, I don't want you in this White House ever again. (laughs) 
He's probably so, like these damn feminists. Yeah. So during this time, she also worked against... Well, I don't know how much of like a, a feminine... I mean, she was feminist, I feel like, in some parts. But other parts, she was like very conservative and not very progressive. Because during this time, she also worked against the nation's entrance into the League of Nations. Hmm. So, like, she did not want the U.S. to be a part of the League of Nations at all. Yeah, she wasn't, in some aspects, she wasn't very progressive. Like, for the time, I guess. Yeah. It, it just seems like, even if she doesn't actively support it, in her actions, she's progressive as a woman. Oh, yeah. So, I guess that's why I made that assumption. Like, oh, she must be a feminist. She's, she's out smoking and riding in cars. Like, yeah. what a woman. I think it was more of just, like... I think it was more of, like, if people told her she can't, she'd be like, watch me. Like, it wasn't more about being a, a feminist and being, like... Like, gaining the right for women to ride in cars with men or whatever. It was more about, like... Like, proving people wrong when they told her she couldn't do something. It was, like, more selfish reasons, I think. So, like many others who are enduring the Great Depression, Alice also found her fortunes reversed, which was surprising to me. Um, she started advertisements for tobacco companies to earn extra money. And this was also when she decided to write her autobiography that I talked about earlier called Crowded Hours. And this book sold, it actually sold really well and received rave reviews. However, between 1956 and 1970, she battled breast cancer in both breasts. Mm. And unfortunately, that resulted in mastectomies. But, you know, Alice, she kept kicking. And so Alice was actually a longtime Republican, but this seemed to change because she became close with the Kennedys and Lyndon B. Johnson. Hmm. And so she actually voted Democrat in 1964 and supported Bobby Kennedy in the 1968 Democratic primary. After JFK's assassination, she again supported her friend Richard Nixon when he ran. Mm. We know how that ended up. And, but, but, Alice, Alice is holding it down for us, though. Because her friendship with him literally was, she just said, thank you, next, like Ariana Grande. Uh, because when she found out, like everybody else, about the Watergate scandal, she was like, I'm done with you. She said, thank you, Nick's. <laughs> oh, that was a, ter one bad that was a terrible joke. Um, Anyways, moving on. So she was even heard spouting curse words at her TV when Nixon quoted Teddy's words from a diary, diary entry he had written about losing his wife, Alice, and um, his mother on the same day. Mm -hmm. So she was like, how effing dare you use my own dad's words to like, to say that, oh, you know, I didn't know what they were doing, Watergate scandal, da da da. I sure, I'm sure we all would feel that way if somebody did something shady like that and then turned around and tried to use somebody you know, like your friends or family's like words. So she was also cordial with Gerald Ford, but refused to meet Jimmy Carter, <laughs> citing, citing a perceived lack of social grace. Oh, like Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was the peanut farmer. So this is coming so from she somebody basically who made a said, sex joke about Woodrow Wilson and got kicked 
out of the band. Sorry, yes. banned from the White House. Yes, and she basically said, "You're just a peanut farmer. You have no social grace. Huh. I don't want to meet you." Yes. So, Jimmy Carter though was the last sitting president Alice would see in her lifetime because she passed away on February twentieth, nineteen eighty. Eight days after her 96th birthday of emphysema and pneumonia. So to end our whirlwind adventure with Alice Roosevelt, I'm going to give you some most quotable comments, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So her most quotable comment actually found its way on a pillow in her room. And the quote is, which I feel like, this is something, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this is something I've, I have said in a lifetime. Or this lifetime, probably. <laughs> but it's, if you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you should get that on a t-shirt. Or yeah. you should get that on a pillow on your couch. Senator Joseph McCarthy had jokingly remarked at a party, Here's my blind date. I am going to call you Alice. To which she sarcastically answered, Senator McCarthy, you are not going to call me Alice. The truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on my block may call me Alice, but you may not. (laughs) She also. You would be like best friends with Alice. I know, I freaking love her. She also informed President Lyndon B. Johnson that she wore wide-brimmed hats so he couldn't kiss her. (laughs) Oh, man. That's hilarious. And finally, to top it all off, a well-known Washington senator was discovered to have been having an affair with a a young woman who was less than half his age, and Alice was heard to comment... You can't make a souffle rise twice. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Alice Roosevelt. All right, Bean. Let me hear ya. What are we going to learn about today? Are you ready to wobble, baby, wobble, baby, wobble, baby? Because we're talking about <laughs> gelatin. Stop it. <sighs> Anyways. So, okay, I was going to do a, a piece about the history of the Secret Service. Which I still might do, although it's not that interesting. I was just scrolling through Twitter. Yet again, Twitter strikes and causes me to write a whole story about it on what I learned. And this tweet happened to be about Jell-O. And they were posting pictures of vintage cookbook recipes of Jell-O salad. Mm. Which, I don't... Are you familiar with Jell-O salad? Everybody's grandma makes some version of a Jell-O salad at a cookout... Like, I Christmas party. I've had many a Jello salads. See, I was unaware of this, and I was highly disturbed by the recipes these people were sharing. There was like one in the shape of a fish mold, and it had like mm-hmm. tuna and celery mm-hmm. in it. And I just, I I've just never had... had the tuna one, but a lot of them have had celery, pretzels, fruit. Sometimes there's 
veggies. Yeah, <laughs> why? Just all kinds of crap in I was there. I was very upset when I saw this tweet because I <laughs> I don't know. My I, grandma is probably never gonna talk to me again, but my great grandmother passed away and they still make it. And I'm like, she's not here anymore. Why are we still making this jealous? <laughs> like <laughs> Nobody eats it. Well, I will... Let me rephrase. My my grandfather, bless his heart, eats it. But I think it's because my great-grandmother just wore his will down growing up. <laughs> and I think he's just convinced he likes it. <laughs> it looks like a tin of cat food. He's the, the only recipes. one that eats it. <laughs> like at Thanksgiving, we just pass it around the table, and then he's the only one that scoops it. And they're like... Oh, did everybody get some? And everyone's like, mm, oh, our plates are full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would never touch it, but this is why I needed to see why did people eat this? Yeah. Because I just couldn't even fathom the fact that people were putting meat and cheese and yeah. cabbage and all this stuff into jello. The fruit ones are good. I will say, I'll give them that. If you just put fruit in jello, sign me up. Like, oh, yeah. Because I buy that at the store. I'll make it myself. Fruit and jello is fine. Other stuff. Well, they actually, in the 60s, I think it was, had savory flavors of jello that they released celery, tomato, Italian seasoning flavor. Ew, stop it. I wish I was kidding. These are the disturbing things we are it's all It's like Lay's learn potato today. chips when they release, release those weird ones. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like when Lay's does like the they taste the test voting. and they're like, oh, Jip. Mo- mo- we released this kind in Japan and yeah. this kind in England and da 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 da. It's like here's a mimosa and shrimp potato chip. I'm sure that's not a flavor, but <laughs> did you Don't want give- your potato chips to smell like fish and taste like oranges? <laughs> Do not give Lay's any ideas. You know for a fact they'll be like They're shrimp and mimosa. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Sounds like a fancy brunch with some chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, into gelatin. Let's get into it. <laughs> so, uh, gelatin, the actual creation of it, was first dated back to 1682, actually, which mm. surprised me. But the process for it was kind of insane, um, and it took hours to make. So, initially, jello was only eaten by wealthy individuals and nobility. Like everything else. Yeah, of course. So, that's where the trend started. Hashtag eat the rich. <laughs> then maybe we'll get to taste the jello. <laughs> this is the story of how we got to taste the jello. Oh. Very important. Mm. So basically from 1682 to about the mid 19th century, it was a food for the elite. You know, it was their big centerpiece of the table. And not many people were able to make it because of how long it took. Because gelatin, it. It's essentially rendering collagen from animal bones and then clarifying it. And it could take like two days to make gel- gelatin. I almost called it jello. It's not jello yet in well, this story. And jello, we put it in the fridge now. So how mm-hmm. did they get it to harden? Are you going to tell me that or am I jumping ahead? Yeah, I'm going to read a historic recipe to you of how Ooh. to make gelatin by Ooh, hand. Oh, okay. Um, and this is actually from. Hannah Glass, who was a cookbook author in London, and this is her recipe from 1747 on how to make gelatin. We might have to make a TikTok where we make this recipe. 
Um, or as close to this recipe yeah, as we can Yeah, if get. we can acquire the ingredients, sure. <laughs> anybody got an animal that we can skip? Does anybody have the great bones of four calves' feet? Uh, three ounces of glass. Wait, what was um, it? Four blades of mace. Okay, I'll just read the recipe. Yeah. Take out the great bones of four calves' feet. Oh my god. And put the feet into a pot with ten quarts of water. Is that with skin? Uh, I don't know. So you didn't say anything about just the bones. I think so it's like your. I think it's just the hooves, right? I think it's gelatin's hooves is what I've heard. I don't want to eat jello ever again now. Yeah, I mean it's just from boiling down animals. Okay, well you wait till I get to the end of this because it's very oh disturbing. We're gonna we're gonna anger the vegans. <laughs> This isn't going to be America's favorite dessert after this. <laughs> um, it never was. They just claimed it. And then people said, okay. <laughs> exactly. We're going to get to that too. Um, so then you put these calves feet into a pot with 10 quarts of water, three ounces of hartshorn. Don't ask me what that is. Three ounces of Isinglass. What is that? Don't ask me what that okay, is. Okay, never mind. A nutmeg quartered. Four blades of mace. Also, don't ask me what that is. Mace, like what you spray a, a, I don't, a burglar? I think it's probably a plant. Oh. So, mace blade is the membrane that surrounds a nutmeg. Oh. So, basically, you're putting the whole nutmeg in there. Yeah. I don't know why she didn't just say that. <laughs> that seems... Well, maybe you, maybe, maybe you have to put it in at different times. Maybe. There aren't directions. Well, okay, wait. This is kind of the directions and the recipe. <laughs> So, <laughs> so after starting off well, toss in those four blades of mace. You boil it until it comes down to two quarts, and you strain it through a flannel bag, and you let it sit for twenty four hours. Then, this is the fun part: you scrape all the fat from the top, mm, very clean, slice it, and then put in the whites of six eggs beaten to a froth. Boil it a little, and then strain it again through a flannel bag. Then you run the gelatin into little high glasses. You may add orange flower water or wine and sugar and lemon if you please, but this is all fancy. That's gelatin in the 1700s. <laughs> Basically, you boil down some animal parts with some nutmeg and then you You're let it sit. You're eating fat. Yeah, and it, well, and then you scrape off the extra fat off the top and then you eat it. This is what... This is why they died of black... <laughs> like, this this is why <laughs> but they like, they pooped in the street and they <laughs> ate this like this is why they died y'all are gross um oh my god <laughs> but this is why it was such a huge dish on the dinner tables of nobility is because of this time it takes to make it and it indicated essentially that, oh, I have enough kitchen staff to go spend all this time making gelatin for all of my guests that I still have ample support to keep running the house and feeding us throughout the day. And it was also popular um, in New York High Society, and it was a status symbol for plantation owners in the South. So everybody who was just on the wealthier side just loved to eat gelatin. Now, if someone ate that, they'd be like, you are not rich. You're gross. Well, that's where this story is going. Not that you're gross, but I'm going to tell you about like, how this made its way into the hearts of America and we ended up with these <sighs> disgusting jello salads. Do you remember 
like in 20, what was it, 2015, 2016, there was Subway Pizza Rat. Do you remember that? Where like on the subway in New York, there was a rat running with just a slice of freaking pizza and everybody on social media lost their minds and that's all you talked about for like at least a month. I thought you said a Subway pizza (laughs) wrap. (laughs) You're talking about a specific sandwich offered at Subway. And I was like, oh, no, I don't recall that. No, a rat. (laughs) Do you remember? I remember the rat. I do. I don't remember a Subway pizza wrap. That rat? That rat? (laughs) What? No. <laughs> he would never eat that. Ratatouille would be pissed. Okay? Little Remy from Ratatouille, he would be mad. Everyone can cook. Everyone can't cook after this, he says. <laughs> He's like, he said, he said, this is why I pull on your hair. Because yeah. you're making a mess. <laughs> so... I'm about to get into where gelatin becomes commercial for us. And we get jello. It has so, to get better, God. <laughs> I don't have any more recipes for you. So, for listeners at home, if you're interested in the recipe of Jell-O, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint. I don't have that on hand. Go buy a box of Jell-O. <laughs> um, the shitty stuff but not the good stuff what's in a box at the store you can do it yourself get in your car and go get it it's like a dollar or google it is this 2021 it's like 17 dollars okay so anyways uh 1899 uh fast forwarding from that disgusting recipe from 1747 to 1899 um this guy named Orator Francis Woodward purchased Jell-O name and business for only $450, which is around $13,000 in today's money. That's still not terrible. No, it's it's dirt cheap I mean, it's once I tell you how house. much he made off of it. <laughs> so he purchased it from his neighbor, Pearl B. Waite, and Waite manufactured cough syrup, but he was having some business trouble making the cough syrup. And then for some reason, they transitioned into food. He saw that his wife was, for some reason, they were making this disgusting gelatin at home. He was like, wow, my wife is really struggling to make gelatin. Let's make this process easier. Mm-hmm. So he does this. He experiments with adding fruit syrup, which comes from I'm his... so sorry about my dog. <laughs> oh, it's fine. He's just sad that he can't have any delicious gelatin yeah. from 1747. I do treat him well. He just doesn't sound like it. <laughs> But yeah, they they started adding fruit syrup to gelatin, and it ended up creating an 88% sugar powder, which is what we have today. So it's not... Oh man, I guess that's more sugar than I ever thought it was. Yeah, it's mostly sugar now. Which, I wrote here in my notes, this is cray, because it used to be clear, unflavored gelatin, which was actually used as a protein source in the Napoleonic Wars. So like... Oh, they would make jello and the soldiers would eat it as a source of protein because, because it, was it was just boiled animal parts with right. a nutmeg. 
And sometimes lemon. Yeah. <laughs> and now... It's sugar. It's sugar. 88% sugar. For me to make and amp up my friend's kids and then yeah, send them home. Correct. Yeah. So, hmm. Pearl Waits' wife, May, ended up calling it Jell-O. So, gel for gelatin. And then, during this time, it was just popular to add an O at the end of business names. Oh, really? Because it's a pleasing shape to look at. Jell-O. It's fun to make, actually. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they were just like... <laughs> Gel, gel, gelatin, gel, jello, jello. <laughs> Make the boy say hello. Jello. <laughs> so, <laughs> move over milkshakes. Jello's bringing the boys yep. to the yard. Making the boy say hello for the jello. <laughs> But the weights, they lacked the funds and the marketing prowess, so that's why they ended up selling it to the guy I mentioned earlier, or to mm-hmm. Francis Woodward, because he owned, at the time, a food processing plant. So just natural, it made sense to them to sell the recipe to him for the $450. Gotcha. At first, he had very little success selling it, and he actually tried to sell the recipe to an employee for $35 of money at that time. Oh. And they were like, nah, I'm fine. Um, which is good for him because in 1902, this is where we get America's most favorite dessert, the ad. So the 1902 America's most favorite dessert marketing campaign, it cost him $336. And annual sales just start to skyrocket for this widely now available Jello. Um, and they make $250,000 in a year, which equates to $6.2 million today. Dang, he almost sold that he did recipe. not sell that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure that employee, though, was like, damn, what did I do? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're, they were kicking themselves. Like, instead of an sure. employee, I could have been the boss. Yeah, they could have owned it. And here they are, just making it. Now we've got Jell-O. America loves Jell-O. And then in 1905, we have our first really documented American Jello salad, and it's called the Perfection Salad. Mm. And it's an aspic, which is a savory gelatin, mm-hmm. which is disturbing to me mm-hmm. that one, it's savory, and two, it has a name that is aspic. So sounds it like, <laughs> sounds like aspic. Yeah, <laughs> like you're picking. They picked their ass and threw it in some gelatin. So, okay, so there's that, ass pick. And then cabbage, celery, and red pepper. Ew. And this becomes popular. Wait, that was in the ass pick? Yeah, so with, so like suspended in the gelatin was cabbage, celery, and red pepper. And this is called the perfection salad. That was the farthest thing from perfection. But it takes America by storm. And it gets published in all of these newspaper ads, magazines, and people love this new Jello salad. And now we have Jello in an easy make form for everybody across the United States. But we'll get to the real shining era of Jello salads, which is in the 50s and 60s. But I'm going to walk you through a lens of American social history through Jello. Oh, which is fun. Oh. So, the early ad 
promises you that you can eat rich essentially for just 10 cents a box because it's still early on enough you know when they first started out in 1902 only the rich were still able to make gelatin for the most part and that's the only time you ever had it at a dinner party so guess what now you can buy it for 10 cents and make jello in like 45 minutes which i mean is kind of incredible it used to take like two days to make gelatin yeah and then in 1908, we have the Jell-O girl comes on the scene, mm. and they start to associate Jell-O with family and purity and innocence. So that was a good marketing play on their point in 1908 to really start pushing it mm-hmm. into American culture. It's interesting because this is now the time of the Great Depression, so we had all this prosper during the 20s, and then Jell-O actually picks up again in the 30s where people will just have jello on hand and it's a good way to preserve food. So they would put just their food in jello so it would keep longer so they wouldn't waste their food because of rationing. Now I feel bad. <laughs> okay, we can accept it now, but I cannot accept the jello perfection salad at the beginning, those people probably had food to eat, and this lady's putting it in gelatin for no good reason. Yeah, I get, I definitely do. But get now it here. I feel bad about this because I'm sure my great grandma just felt like this is what they did when they were growing up in the Great Depression. So this is just what you do. So now you made me look like an asshole. My grandma's <laughs> gonna disown me. Like, <laughs> I think you're fine. Because they didn't need to go that far. They don't need to go as far as they do in the 50s and 60s. Because for a long okay, time... Okay, so right now, I feel bad. I'm sure your next section of notes, I'm not going to feel as bad. But I want it on the record that I feel bad currently. <laughs> the 30s, though, is also the introduction of lime flavor. So now you've got this crazy flavor. And right. everybody's just putting their food in it so like you 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 butcher your chicken outside your one whole chicken you have and you put it in lime jello to preserve it i don't know if everybody did that but it was really popular i mean i guess if you can't get anything but lime i mean bon appetit bon appetit acid to that chicken so then world war ii begins and Jello really hits this horrible golden period that should have never happened. But it's touted as refreshing and refined, yet affordable. So during the war, why this is important is because women who are now entering the workforce and helping with the work or the war effort mm-hmm. are proving that you can still entertain despite the shortages and the rations with Jello. Which is a weird flex, but they're doing it. And Hey, flex what you got, babe. Yeah, which is gelatin. And there's this popular recipe now going on at this time oh, to God. add to the fun perfection oh, salad no. is the olive relish. Which no, is... no, 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 no. <laughs> Olives? No. <laughs> Pickles. Celery, vinegar, encased in lime jello. Oh my god, no! I'm gonna throw up. So it becomes a creative and quick tool in the kitchen. And here we can also see 
domestic reform. So like I mentioned, all the women entering the workforce now, um, which is huge because a lot of that sticks around after World War II. It adds to the evolution of the role of women and it's pushing for efficiency and purity and cleanliness and order, which, I mean, it's hard to be messy with gelatin. You just slop it on the plate and it's... And for some reason they were really interested in that. So after World War II... Jello just booms and instant and processed foods in general. And this is also partially due. They had a really high production of these instant foods for soldiers in combat Mm -hmm. that they would send all these instant foods with. So this industry is really just booming after the war. And they're just like, "Eh, why stop? So (laughs) when they should have been like, they should have stopped. Hold up. But they didn't. They bravely put a foot forward and said, no. Here we go, Jello salads. This, uh, <laughs> this is why the rest of the world is like, uh, the American palate. Like this shit right here is why we get made fun of. <laughs> well, okay, so Jello starts advertising it. They they find this new angle now too, that they're busy wives with children, housework, and now there's there are a good amount of women entering the workforce in paid jobs and jello is a quick way to make dinner which first off I'm dinner like, make okay. a hamburger helper <laughs> i mean come on also jelly uh jello takes time to set which i just want to say if jello is a quick dinner how long did it take them to make the long dinner because jello takes like 45 minutes to an hour to set in the fridge i mean unless they're thinking like like a crock pot situation where like you do it in the morning yeah you stick it in your crock pot, you let it be, you come home, and your dinner is done. This is a PSA. If I come to your house and there's a meat and jello, we are automatically not friends, and I never want to see you again. <laughs> Stop putting the meat in stuff it doesn't belong, aka jello. Don't put this in my jello, or I'm going to put tax on your chair. That's right. Emily. That's right. That's my quote. <laughs> So then a 1950s cultural study, interestingly, finds that housewives think instant foods are lazy and disorganized and it makes you a bad wife. So women go out of their way. Oh, Jesus. To get out of feeling like this, but still using Jell-O, which I do not understand. They add labor back into the process of making Jell-O. So they're what? Cutting the hooves off animals? they're not. (laughs) They're getting elaborate with how creative, created in air quotes they get. And so they start using instant foods, but instead of just eating the instant food, they're like, we should throw like 17 more ingredients in this. And then also put it in a really elaborate jello mold. Jello mold, whatever. Leave shit out of jello. (laughs) Unless it's fruit, leave it out. Well, I just want to say there's also a gelatin dish that arises during this time that's just lime green jello with coleslaw in the center of it. Oh, I've seen that. People still make that. Stop. I'm telling you right now, people still I know still you're make telling it. me. If you're making this, <laughs> forget, forget Eleanor Roosevelt might be gay. This, so far, three, three episodes in. This right here is our most controversial episode, right here. It might be. Oh my god. I'm I'm getting hot. I'm mad. 
Again, uh, anybody is welcome to come fight me. I live at the White House with Emily Spinach. Oh my god, I'm so angry <laughs> over freaking Jello. <laughs> but then we have Jello is in its golden age in the 50s and 60s, but then it starts to decline. Shocking in the 70s after these women started putting, you know, like tuna and chicken and stuff in their Jello. You know, Americans were like, mm, maybe not. So in the 70s, it starts to decline, and Jello, the company, goes back to just marketing it as America's most favorite dessert. As so they should back. have been the whole time. Stay in your lane. You don't have to argue with me, gummy. <laughs> Stay in your lane. It also went out of, out of fashion, which jives with where society's going, too, because there are now quicker instant foods mm-hmm. than, you know, sitting an hour for your gelatin to set. And there, there's, like, fast and micro, microwaves are there, so there's microwave options. And there's a lot of women now who are heads of household. So, well, and now, like, you can start buying it pre-made. Like, they started yeah. pre-packaging stuff, so, like, you don't even have to necessarily make it yourself. Like, I just don't, I, I don't. And I'm sure somebody's going to be like, well, you haven't, you don't like it because you've never tasted mine. No, I'm not going to like it. It's meat and jello. <laughs> I think we should get t-shirts to say the Jell-O police. (laughs) I just feel so strongly. Like, I'm going to be talking about this forever. I'm so... Did you laugh with Gummy and Jean this week? If so, we would absolutely love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.